If you would please stand in honor of God's word as we read. This is 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. Okay. Well, uh, I don't know if I should congratulate you or be, you know, pity you because you landed here on the very Sunday that I preach. I preach about once a year, so. Uh, so here we go. Uh, so as, as many of you know, the mission of Trinity is to experience and extend the life-changing love of Jesus Christ in our homes, in our workplaces, and in communities. And as I said at the beginning of our service, there's sort of like a mini-series going on here on examining the love of God, and especially examining the love of God in Jesus Christ. And last week, Pastor Nick shared about the humiliate, humiliating love of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to look at the love of God in Jesus Christ, from just a, different, a little different angle, coming from 1 John. And here's the one thing I want you to take away from this morning's sermon. Here's the one thing, that uh, true love enables us to love one another. True love enables us to love one another. So before I jump in, let's, let's pray and ask for God's help. Oh Lord, as I also prayed this morning, help us to see your love anew and afresh this morning through your word. A lot of us need it. A lot of us need that encouragement. Uh, and so we ask for your help this very hour, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts here be pleasing to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so um, the world, it seems to be a lot about love these days. I, do, I don't know if you see bumper sticker, I call it bumper sticker philosophy or signs in people's yards that say things like, love is just love, love does, love is, love wins, love, 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 you know, it goes on and on. And it's like our culture likes to talk a lot about love, but does very little to define it for us. And it's kind of this elusive thing. Um, you know, politicians at rallies and celebrities and their acceptance speeches, you hear a lot of this, you know what this world, le you know what this world needs? It needs more love. And then people just start clapping. They're like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. But it do they don't really go into like what love is. Uh, another uh, example of this is look how much coverage Prince Harry and Meghan's wedding got. And it's not just the actual wedding service. It was the hours of television talking about their engagement and Princess Diana, right? In some ways, love, love sells people. We, we want to know more about love. We want to see people in love. That's why we love weddings. We love going to weddings. But again, um, we don't know exactly a lot about what love is, and our culture doesn't really define it for us concretely. You know, I was just looking at, like, so what do some celebrities say about love? Scarlett Johansson said, you know, I'm just a big believer in that you got to love yourself before you can love anybody else. All right, so love kind of seems to be about yourself. Is that it? Well, Will Smith said, love is being the best version of yourself. It's an everyday commitment to be better body, mind, and soul. All right, 
Okay, so it's a lot about yourself, and so that's not very helpful. So what is love? Okay, so let's turn to some singer, songwriters, philosophers, and say what, and see what they say about love. Jay Giles uh, wrote a song that called uh, Love Stinks. All right, these are some great wedding songs, by the way. And another artist uh, sung that uh, Love Hurts. Okay, well, that's not very helpful. How about the philosopher-songwriter Hathaway? He really, wrestled with, he really wrestled with this question when he wrote the song titled, What is Love? And this is what he had to say. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. I mean, that's it. Like, he doesn't even answer his own question. <laughs> okay. So that's not helpful. Uh, so, let me, so let me ask you, how would you define what love is? What is love? Maybe another question to ask is, what is true love? What is love at its essence? How would you answer this question? Now, when couples come and ask me, hey, would you marry us? I said, yeah, I'd love to. But we're going to spend eight weeks in premarital counseling talking about what marriage is, right? Before you want to get married, you kind of want to know what marriage is all about. And if we're going to follow the command here in 1 John to love one another, we need to understand what love is. So in our passage here uh, in 1 John 4, We'll see that in verses 7 and 8, true love is from God, true love is from God. And in verses 9 and 11, true love is sacrificial, true love is sacrificial. My first point here, true love is from God, verses 7 and 8. John writes, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. And to understand what John is saying here, that God is love, we need to understand the story of Scripture. The Bible teaches that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the seas and the animals and us, everything that is in it, and he created it and it was good. And we know that he created it out of love. He created us out of the very love that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has experienced from all eternity. He created us not because he was bored or that he was lonely, He created us because he wanted us to know his love, to experience his love, and to extend this love to others, to delight in his love. There's this beautiful pattern of love that we see from within the Trinity itself. From the love of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we were created, as the Bible says, out of the dust of the earth. And from that physical love, then, that Adam and Eve had for each other, they created children. And we see this pattern continuing on. Humans love and create children. Love creates. Love create. Love and create. Love and create. And and through this powerful act of love, other humans are created. And we see that this pattern of that love begets love. But more than just loving each other, Adam and Eve were supposed to love the world around them. You see, their vocation was to love creation in such a way as to extend this love throughout the entire earth. Adam and Eve's vocation was to love each other and to love the world in such a way that pointed to God's true love. But we know that didn't last forever. You see, Adam and Eve eventually made the decision to love themselves more than God. So they rejected God's love and embraced the love of self. And this perversion of love was sin. And now sin has entered into the world and the gift of love has been perverted and turned into a love of self. 
and we know this, right? We experience this uh, every day in our homes and in our workplaces and in our communities. There's lying instead of truth-telling. There's greed instead of giving. There's hatred instead of hospitality. There's selfishness instead of self-giving. I mean, this is our fallen condition. This is the world that we live in. And John, in verse 8 here, says something really important regarding this. He's basically saying, listen up, church. Listen up. And he gives us a warning. He is saying that love is so intrinsic to the character of God that it is the plumb line in which we judge the fruit of our faith. That love is so intrinsic to the character of God that it is the plumb line in which we judge the fruit of our faith. For John, love isn't just one of the many attributes of God. For John, love is the primary attribute of God. He says in verse 8, God is love. Love is so central to God, so defining to his character, that for one to fail to love rightly is to contradict their own Christian confession. As one commentator wrote, love is a non-negotiable in the household of faith. I got to get a John Calvin quote in here. And Calvin said, if anyone separates saving faith from love, it is as if they are trying to separate the heat from the sun. To fail in love, according to eight, verse 8, is to fail in knowing God. Another quote here is, for John, the lack of love is self-incriminating to the one who claims to know God, but is deficient in loving their brothers and sisters. So John here, as he's getting to dive in a little deeper about what love is, he gives the church a warning and his command to love one another. So as we continue uh, in the story of Scripture as it's unfolding, we see that because of sin, humanity is spiritually dead. And Paul writes that we are dead in our trespasses. We are dead people walking around without hope. We are dead people walking around without the ability to love God and love one another as God commands us to. And just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're exempt from this. I mean, Susan will, will testify like it's hard to sacrificially love one another in a marriage. It's just hard. And as, as I go through uh, our marriage counseling uh, with, our, uh, with the engaged couples, we, we talk about marriage as like this institution where our sinfulness and our selfishness is completely exposed. But it's also the spiritual training ground where we work out the command to love one another in prayer and sweat and tears. Um, and just maybe to kind of illustrate this a little bit, what maybe a lack of sacrificial love on my part uh, can, might, might look like. So I'm going to get a drink of water first. <laughs> so I'd like to share a story about a betta fish named Chompsy. Does anyone know what a betta fish is? Like, I don't even know why these things exist on planet Earth, but they just kind of live for a little bit in a fishbowl and then die. Like, that's, that's what betta fish are to me. But we got this gift, this little fish from a family here in this church. It was an Easter gift uh, to our girls. And, and so uh, shortly after Easter, they received it. And without really talking about it, you know, it's the role of the parents to keep the animals alive, right? So... Uh, <laughs> Without really discussing whose role was, we just kind of fell upon my lot that I, I fed Chompsy every day and then Susan would clean his fishbowl uh, like once a week. I mean, we didn't talk about this. This is just, in the, in the craziness of life, this is just what happened. So uh, a few weeks back on Father's Day, Chompsy wasn't moving around too much. Uh, 
I woke up and he was just kind of floating towards the bottom of the bowl, not moving a whole around too much. Uh, if you fed him a little bit, he kind of would move. And uh, probably in one of my not best moments as a husband, I, I asked Susan a bit passively, a bit maybe aggressively, are you just going to let him die? Are you going to clean the fishbowl? So you can imagine how that went. Um, uh, it didn't go very well. So let's now, let's just agree that when things like this come up, right, Susan? <laughs> when things like this come up, uh, it's not about the fish. It's, it's, it, <laughs> it's, it's never about the fish. It's really, it's really my inability to sacrificially love in the small things. Because you see, I had a difficult week. I had a difficult week the, the week before leading up to Father's Day, and I became a me monster. Does anyone know what the me monster is? Yeah, it all becomes about me. Like, everything became about me. And so uh, I became myopic, and in my selfishness, and in my, just everything went about me. It prevented me from loving my wife and my family, and even Chomsey, and like the small little things of cleaning his fishbowl. And, and in my sin, I, I wanted to hurt Susan with my words. Whatever, whatever I was feeling, I wanted Susan to feel that, and I sinned against her in that. Because I was just having this bad week, and it was all about me. And in my sin, I turned back to that dead man walking without hope, right? I forgot the gospel. And in my sin, I became a little bit like Chompsy. I was just floating at the bottom of my dirty fish bowl of self-pity, forgetting that I was actually cleansed, picked up, washed, cleansed, renewed, rejuvenated in Jesus Christ. And that's what, John, that's what John's point here is in verse 10. If you really want to love one another, you need to know true love. You need to know the love of Jesus. This is my second point. True love is sacrificial here in verses 9 uh, through 11. John returns to the theological foundation of his command to love one another. Sort of imagine John here uh, using a bright red pen and kind of circling verse 10. He said, this is what love is. John writes, not that we've loved God, but he loved us. Not that we have loved God, but he loved us. So we are the, in this story that we are inhabiting, we are the prodigal sons and daughters who are running away from God, squandering his gift of love, perverting love, using love for selfish gain. But it was God that was chasing us down. It was God moving towards us. It was God who was cleaning our filthy fishbowls. And look at the cost. Look at the cost. Here in verse 10. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, John uses a very significant theological, theological term here, propitiation. This is to say that there was a change in God's attitude towards us. His wrath and his hatred of us and the way we rebelled against him and perverted his love has been turned on his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus bore the punishment for our sin and our rebellion and our perversion of love. And because of Jesus, we go from God being against us to for us, from God being our enemy to the lover of our souls. So when John commands us to love one another, he says, look at the cross. Look at the cross. That's true love. That true love is sacrificial. So the main goal of my sermon here is to help you see that uh, true love enables us to love one another. 
Um, but I like, I like to help us kind of narrow, I mean, drill down a little bit more and to connect God's true love with us loving our neighbor a bit more by interacting with a British theologian named William Vanstone. And I came across uh, uh, this theologian, William Vanstone, uh, through the writing of Tim Keller in his book, uh, King's Cross. I found it really helpful. Now, William Vanstone, uh, he died 20 years ago, and he wrote a chapter in a book called Phenomenology of Love. I love that, Phenomenology of Love. He says that human beings know the difference between false love and true love. Human beings know the difference between false love and true love. He argues that in false love, your aim is to use the other person to fulfill your, ha- your happiness. False love, the aim of false love is to use the other person to fulfill your happiness. And so false love is really two things. False love is conditional, and false love is non-vulnerable. So first one, false love is conditional. It's like, I'll keep loving you as long as you keep giving me what I want. You dish it out. And as long as you keep affirming me and meeting my needs, all's good. The expectation is that if I give you love, I get something in return. And we often treat false love, like conditional love, like an economic exchange, right? So what's the ROI on this act of love? What's my return on investment if I do this act for you? I heard in a podcast lately that expectations are resentments in the making. Expectations are resentments in the making. So if I give you love and expect something in return, but I don't get it, then I could begin to resent you for it, right? So false love, conditional love, can easily lead to resentment in our relationships. Okay, so I'd like to just do a quick little test here to see if we might have been guilty of conditional love. Um, and, you know, we probably know of the big things, uh, the conditional love, the false love we've given in our world. It's kind of the big things we've done in our life. But I think what we see is like, they're like micro um, conditional love transactions going on. So hopefully we can, um, I can help us remember some of these things. Uh, I'm just using a little bit of the five love languages uh, from Gary Chapman to help guide this. So uh, let's see if we've been guilty of conditional love. You go out of your way to spend time, quality time with someone. All right, You go out of your way to spend quality time with someone in hopes that you can get on their good side or you can earn their favor or maybe you hurt them in some way and maybe they'll like you. Right? That's conditional love. That's conditional love. Or what about showing love through gift giving? Okay. You, you give someone a gift in hopes that they might act a little different towards you, or maybe you're just trying to repair something like a boo-boo that you did in the relationship, but they don't change. In fact, they don't even give you a thank you card, right? But you were expecting something. That's conditional love. Or what if you show love by doing an act of service? Let's say, uh, oh, let's just say uh, you go help a friend move. Because the motivation behind that is that you know you're going to be moving in a, in a few months. And if you go help that friend move, let's just say it's a pastor with tons of books and commentaries and there's a lot of heavy things. And the hopes that you, they might be able to help you move when you have to move. But they don't and you're crushed by that, you're frustrated. That's, that's conditional love. What about the gift of sex? You give someone, uh, you love someone in the most intimate way so that they might like you or they might change the way they act. Using sex as manipulation, like that's conditional love. Okay, so, uh, so hopefully that's kind of, you got a few things like, all right, yeah, we're all guilty of this in some way. Uh, so number one, false love is conditional. Number two, false love is non, 
vulnerable. False love is non-vulnerable. With false love, you hold back. You don't give yourself fully. You hold back because um, it's easier to leave. You don't get too attached so you can cut your losses and run. False love is non-vulnerable. But true love, according to Vanstone, and true love, we don't hold anything back. With true love, your aim, your goal is to use yourself, to use everything you give all of yourself to the other person for their happiness. Their joy is your joy. True love, according to Vanstone, true love is what humanity is starving for. They need it like water and oxygen. They will go anywhere and everywhere to get it. So what is true love? True love is unconditional. You love without any strings attached. You love even when your loved one isn't meeting your needs or affirming you or changing or giving the gifts that you want in return or spending quality time with you or loving you the way you want to be loved because your greatest joy is their joy. So true love is unconditional and true love is vulnerable. You spend everything. You don't hold anything back. You give it all away for the happiness of the other person. True love is unconditional. True love is vulnerable. But Vanstone argues that nobody's actually capable of giving true love. We desperately want it from others, but we can't get it. And it's not that we're uh, capable of, of giving real love. It's just that we can't give true love. And Keller wrote this. What we need is someone who doesn't need us at all. What we need is someone to love us who doesn't need us at all. Someone who loves us radically, unconditionally, vulnerably. Someone who loves us just for our sake. If we receive that kind of love, that would so assure us of our value. It would so fill us up that maybe we could start to give love like that too. Who can give love with no need? Jesus. Who can give love with no need? That is Jesus. And at the beginning, I said, um, the goal of this sermon, what I hope you take away, is that true love enables us to love one another. Is because we are so accepted and loved in Jesus Christ, it enables us, <laughs> it enables us to love others more vulnerably, with less strings attached, with less conditions on our love. Right? It frees us up because we are so secure in the love of Jesus that we can actually start to give real love to the world that bears witness to God's true love in Jesus Christ. Okay, so what do we do about this? Um, just a quick note, uh, if you're visiting with us here this morning or if you've been with us for a long time, so, I mean, if you're tired, <laughs> if you're tired of the one who's constantly receiving conditional love, false love, love with strings attached, right? If you're tired and you're burned out on that, or if you're the person who, if you're the person who's dishing out false love and you're tired of it too because you're so insecure and you're so afraid, I want to invite you to receive God's true love in Jesus Christ, to embrace the love of Jesus by faith. Because here's the good news, is that Jesus doesn't need you. <laughs> Jesus doesn't need you in fact, he doesn't need your love. 
He is perfectly loved and satisfied and loved the Father and the Son and the, the, the Father and the Spirit had for all eternity. But he loves you. He loves you unconditionally. He loves you vulnerably. He loves you with no strings attached. And he wants you to experience this life-changing love today. So if that's you this morning, would you consider embracing that by faith? Um, okay, so... How do we love one another then? Uh, how do we bear witness to this love in our homes and workplaces and communities? Okay, so now in the middle aisle, not the friendship folders, but I want you to go and uh, open up that envelope. Uh, hopefully there's enough. There's usually about six, six of these wooden hearts in there. Um, not every row has six people. So just look around if you need one. You could take one for your family or you could, uh, if there's enough, you can each take one. You thought there was money in there, didn't you? No. <laughs> um, so take one of these wooden hearts here. And I'd like, I like for you to think of, uh, of a person or an action that you can give some sacrificial love to this week. How can you bear witness to God's love, either in your home, in your workplace, or in your community? Uh, it doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be huge. It could be something small. Maybe it's seeking to love someone with less strings attached, seeking to love someone that's uh, a bit more vulnerable, seeking to love someone that um, has less conditions on it. Maybe it's an act of kindness. Maybe you need to give someone a gift to encourage them. Um, maybe it's serving someone in a particular way. And so um, you can do it with this heart later. You can write that person's name on it or or write the action that you want to you wanna do to bear witness to God's love. And you can just keep it in your pocket uh, this week or keep it in your wallet so it kind of sticks out and bulges and it's uncomfortable. Uh, or keep it on your desk. Uh, just somewhere that you can you know, be reminded that how can I bear witness to God's love in my home or workplace and community this week. Because I want us to imagine a moment like our workplaces where acts of love are selfless where a workplace where we can celebrate the work of others and the success of others without any strings attached or feeling insecure about it. Uh, imagine our homes where we seek to sacrificially love our spouses or our roommates and how that would actually transform our relationships, how that could even transform how we parent our children or even how we relate to our family members. Um, Maybe imagine our communities where we seek to sacrificially love our neighbors, where hospitality is practiced in our homes. Imagine neighborhoods and blocks and floors on our condos and our townhouses where the suspicion of neighbor is no more. Where we're willing to sacrifice our own money to buy food, to have neighbors over for food, for dinner, or sacrifice our precious time to drive an elderly neighbor, an elderly neighbor to a doctor's appointment. So I just want to... Uh, as a way, this little heart, to help us imagine what it would look like if we could bear witness to God's true love in our homes, workplaces, and communities this week. Okay. True love is from God. True love is sacrificial. And true love enables us to love one another. All right. So let's take a moment now in silent confession, and then I will lead us in prayer.
Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us to amend what we are and direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, brothers and sisters, hear the good news. Lift up your head and hear this good news from John 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Thanks be to God.